if you bring your Bible with you, open it to the first psalm. I will be starting there today. That'll be where we begin uh, the message. But I, I'll be doing much like I did last week, reading in a number of, of psalms, portions at least from a number of psalms. So uh, be aware of that. We're in a, a brief series in the psalms, a little bit unique series, because we're not going to go like, here's we're going to preach this psalm or this psalm. I'm not even preaching through the first psalm, though I, I used it last week and I'll be using it this week. What, what we're doing is we're looking at the Psalms as a whole and trying to discern why we have them, how we are to use them, what their purpose is, uh, purpose is in our lives. Uh, so that's the goal of the series. Uh, title of the series is Psalms, Praying in a Broken World for the Kingdom Come. Praying in a Broken World for the Kingdom Come. And if you have your bulletin on the inside, if you're newer here, you'll find a, a handout uh, of notes that... If you like to take notes, well, hopefully most of what you'd write down is already there, and the rest of it you got a little space for, uh, but it might help you organize your thoughts or review things later. Uh, Psalm 1, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Uh, we do have a, a, a new person today, a brand new baby, uh, right back here. <laughs> uh, so Pete's, Pete's great-grandson. And, and what's his name again? Alexander. Yeah, so Alexander is here. Uh, with family, so um, he was just the tiniest little precious, most precious little thing, it's awesome. Anyway, um, Psalm 1, I'll be reading from the NIV, um, and if you uh, uh, can follow along, that'd be great. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it, his law, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for Yahweh, the Lord, watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. If you would, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, Lord, help us to allow those words to shape who we are, how we worship together, how we pray, how we think, and therefore how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1704, prominent Scottish politician Andrew Fletcher wrote, quote, I knew a very wise man that believed if a man were permitted to make all the ballads, he need not care who should make the laws of a nation. And we find that most of the ancient legislators thought that they could not well reform the manners of any city without the help of a lyric and sometimes of a dramatic poet. Now why would Fletcher, uh, as a member of the Scottish Parliament and actively working to make laws, why would he think that ballads have more power to reform a nation than merely laws? Well, I think maybe he understood well how songs get inside a person in a way that laws do not. If you've heard my story um, from my early uh, adult years, 
uh, I, I was, well, uh, is in the early years of the Jesus movement, and I was a, my, my theology, to be perfectly honest with you, was, was awful. Uh, I, w- I was preaching terrible stuff, health and wealth nonsense, and those who taught me were, well, basically heretical. Uh, however, I was an avid listener of the early Jesus movement music uh, of the late 70s with Resurrection Band, Phil Kagi, Randy Stonehill, Keith Green, Paul Clark, and Benny Hester. Any fans? Yeah, we got some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Been to a few Jesus festivals. They were writing the ballads, and their ballads had much better theology than the preaching in the books I was reading. And those ballads, thankfully in the end, won the day. They wrote something in my heart. They, they, they steered me in a better direction. Well, this morning I want to offer to you that the Psalms, by using the Psalms themselves. If we want to be that blessed one that Psalm 1 introduces, we use the Psalms and they'll help us get there. Now, Psalm 1 stands as an introduction to the whole Psalter. We talked about that last week which is arranged in five books. The most widely accepted reason for this division into five books uh, is that it was done to mirror the divisions of the Torah, the law, the the Mosaic law, into five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, of course, we don't know for sure that's why they did it. Nobody says, here's why we did it, but... It's been a long-held, even in, 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 in Jewish uh, uh, rabbis, their writings, uh, uh, that that is the purpose of those five books. I think it makes sense, given the first psalm. Which is to say that that division into five books communicates a message by its very arrangement. And that message is that when we meditate in the psalms day and night, we are meditating in God's law day and night. When we use the Psalms, or rather, when when the use of the Psalms is practiced both privately and in our joined life, our corporate life, our gathered life, the Holy Spirit will use it to do some heavy lifting in that work of transformation that we need. Amen? So we're going to explore this idea under three headings. The first is how and why the Psalms transform. I'm kind of starting with application and then going into the content. It's a little backward, I I realize. But I think you'll understand the content better if you understand how we use it and why we use it that way. So I'm going to start with the application and then end with the content. So the first point is the application, how and why the Psalms transform. Secondly, Psalms as uh, meditation in the law of the Lord. And thirdly, the Psalms uh, form God's character into us. The Psalms form God's character into us. So let's begin under that first Uh, Heading, How and Why the Psalms Transform. Speaking and singing the Psalms is transformative. I could say formative. You might not be as familiar of a word. Transformative, changing the way we are shaped, the way we are formed. Okay? Speaking and singing the Psalms is transformative in the same way that a gymnast's workouts are transformative. Now, I use this illustration a lot, and it's not just because I'm old. The, the repetition is needed. Speaking and singing the Psalms is formative in the same way that a gymnast's workouts are formative. A gymnast works out not because they aren't a gymnast, 
but because they are a gymnast. However, in working out, they are becoming the gymnasts that they already are. They would never do the work if they weren't a gymnast. But they would never be a gymnast without the work. And we can sit there and argue over which comes first, the chicken or the egg in this scenario, all day long, and we'll never get to the end of that. And the same is true for the people of God. We are the saints, the holy people of God. Therefore, we do the work of the holy people of God. We, we speak the psalms, we sing the psalms, we engage the psalms. You know, almost every song I think we had this morning was rooted in the psalms. I don't know, you know if, if all of them were, I'm pretty sure as we were singing, I'm going, yep, there's a psalm there and psalm there and psalm there. But we're, we're letting those things form how we think about God, about ourselves, about the world around us. The Psalms are used to form us, to shape us into the saints that we already are. And while I agree with Andrew Fletcher's sentiment that that the songs of the Psalms, in our case, do more to transform a a people than mere laws, it's not only, I agree with him on the point, but I don't think it's because, it's only because they are sung that that is true, though I think that's relevant. It's not only that they are sung that it is true. There's something else about the nature of those songs that makes them effective in the work of transformation. What is that? Well, in the Psalms, there are several reasons, and I'm going to just walk through uh, those reasons. There's four of them I'm going to list. First, in the Psalms, we are committing ourselves to a way of believing and living. In the Psalms, we are committing ourselves to a way of believing and living. Now, Not just reading them, because reading won't just do that by itself. But speaking them, singing them, we are committing ourselves to a way of living, a way of believing and a way of living. And when we look at examples of the Psalms, you'll see what I mean by that. Gordon Winham gets to the heart of it. He says, quote, I will suggest that in some ways singing a psalm or hymn is like taking an oath. We are committing ourselves in a binding way to a particular set of beliefs and embracing a lifestyle. I trust you've seen this in in the call and responses that we've done last week and this. Been intentionally doing in our call and response what we're talking about in the sermon. Using the Psalms, in, in this case we have them woven together to make such commitments before the Lord and before each other. Maybe you've heard the old story about the military officer who when asked uh, about his, the performance of his charge, he answered, um, quote, he sets low goals and constantly fails to achieve them. Well, <laughs> we, we commit our, when we commit ourselves to obedience, we will often fail to live up to it, but I would suggest that we will do far better than if we commit ourselves to failure or make no commitment at all. Yes, we will fail to achieve them. But you know what? We're we're aiming to be the people of God. We are aiming to be the people of God. And we'll talk about the fail to achieve them as we get a little further in today. So when we speak before God and one another, we are defining who we are, who God has called us to be, and setting a course to be that very person, that very people. The Psalms remind us, secondly, the second way that they do this is uh, the Psalms remind us of the motivation for obedience. They remind us that there is joy in doing God's will. In other words, why do we do this? 
Why do we obey God's ways? Why do we follow Him? Because there is a blessing in life in the place of God's will. In the, in the mind of the Psalter, obedience to God is not a drudgery. It's not a drudgery, it's a joy. It's a delight. Of course, the psalmist is not afraid to own it when he begins to feel that it's a drudgery. and begins to feel like, well, maybe it is a drudgery. He'll own that. But it, it also, he also walks his way out of that. And that leads to our, our third point. The lyrics of the psalms teach us how to think and feel, walking us from our worst feelings to our better feelings. They teach us how to think and feel, walking us from our worst feelings to our better feelings. Okay? They don't just teach us what to do or not to do like the law does. Don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this. Make sure you get this done. But rather they teach us how to think and feel. They reach us in the place of our emotions and counsel us to a better place. Now, I, I grant that many times you may be reading a psalm and, and you're not currently having the emotions of that particular psalm uh, that, that the psalmist is praying. And yet, I would say that it prepares you for those times when you do feel that way. It, 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 it helps you orient yourself to know, when I find myself in this place, there is help here for that. And, to be sure, we're not praying for me and my, but for us and ours. The Lord's Prayer teaches us. So, when you don't feel a particular way, pause and consider your brothers and sisters who do. In some cases, there are psalms quite appropriate for praying for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now. There are psalms quite appropriate for praying for those that are uh, confined by illness and, and, and not feeling any better day after day after day. There, there are places for, for us to go and, and pray for so many different ways that people are encountering the world that are different than ours. And they serve to remind us of those moments. The Psalms allow us to grieve fully when we are grieving. So when you, when you approach the Psalms grieving, they, they allow you to grieve deeply. The Psalms allow the one doubting to doubt in a way that increases their faith. That's one of my favorites because honestly, we all come to the Psalms with doubts. We all come to the Lord with doubts. And there are really good Psalms to help us in those times of doubt. Psalm 37 and 73, just kind of reverse the numbers there. 37 and 73 are, are two of the best for that particular purpose. But there are so many others and so many other places where that takes place. Fourthly, so first, the psalm, in the Psalms we are committing ourselves to a way of believing and living. Secondly, the Psalms remind us of our motivation for doing God's will. Thirdly, that the Psalms teach us how to think and feel, walking us from our worst feelings to our better feelings and then fourthly because the psalms are prayer and worship in praying and singing them they alter our relationship to god in praying and singing them they alter our relationship to god they change our relationship to god for the better in another place winham says this about the psalms he says quote saying these solemn words to god alters one's relationship in a way that mere listening does not and I would add to that, it alters one's relationship to God in a way that mere reading or mere thinking about them does not. Actually, vocalizing them has an impact in what we are doing. We're saying something. We're committing ourselves to that something. Saying them with one another in the congregation. 
alters our relationship to God and one another, not just by adding the one another, but by adding the one another, it also increases the impact on our relationship with God. Now, let's be clear, it's not that someone who says them cannot fail, though it may be that someone who does not make these commitments before God and one another are doomed to fail from the start. To be sure, the psalmist frequently reminds us that success in God's ways always includes the need for God's mercy and forgiveness. Always. Maybe you noticed in this morning's uh, call and response from Psalm 19, right where we ended, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And repeatedly you'll find throughout the Psalms places where we acknowledge our own guilt before the Lord. And this leads to the next heading. Um, The blessing of Psalm 1 is on the one who meditates on his law day and night. So the Psalms help us to do that. Psalms as meditation in the law of the Lord. So if you would, uh, we'll we'll think about that. And here we're going to run through a lot of different Psalms. Um, and, and, And here's something to consider. Each of the Ten Commandments are explicitly or implicitly expressed in the Psalms. Each of the Ten Commandments are explicitly or implicitly expressed in the Psalms. And I'll, I'll just use some examples. I'm not going to spend, you know, go through all of them exhaustively, but just some examples. The first and second commands, lo, um, uh, not to have any other gods before you, not to make an idol in the form of anything in heaven above and earth beneath. Well, in Psalm 16, we have a great example. Quote, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Or the 24th Psalm, we read, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. And and notice that the Motivation for the obedience is in the declaration. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Uh, The third command regarding not taking the Lord's name in vain is approached both positively and negatively. On the positive side, we, we have Psalm 5. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Or Psalm 7, I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Or Psalm 29 or 96, it's in both places. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. But we also have negative examples of, why, you know, of, of how we need to obey, uh, the, uh, um, not taking the Lord's name in vain. We read in Psalm 74, How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. See, those who mock his name... Or take it in vain. They are enemies, it says in that first line, of God. They're also the ones who threaten our very lives at times. They are the wild beasts that are spoken of. 
the 139th Psalm, in verse 20, it says, They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Well, I don't know about you. I don't want to be an adversary of the Lord. So I don't want to misuse His name. If His adversaries misuse His name, I, I don't want to be an adversary, so I don't want to misuse His name. The fourth command regarding the Sabbath. Now, if one were to go through the Psalms, maybe in a quick read, you'd probably think to yourself, that one's not mentioned in the Psalms. Fair. However, the heading of Psalm 92 reads this way, for the Sabbath day. But I think that gets to the point. The Psalms in general were used in corporate worship. So, in the very act of coming together to recite the Psalms, they were keeping the Sabbath day. So, it's kind of the whole point of the book uh, of the Psalms. The fifth and eighth commands find themselves uh, in the 34th Psalm, which is quoted at length in the New Testament and on more than one occasion it's referenced. Uh, But there we read in verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Remember the command, children, honor your parents. And, And what is it? It's a commandment that comes with a promise, right? That you may live long in the land. Well, notice what comes here. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. There's that long life that is promised to the children who listen and learn the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Note the similarity there to that command regarding children. But we're not only reminding ourselves that there is blessing in truth-telling, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies, we're reminding ourselves of that, but we're also told why this law of the Lord is desirable to be obeyed. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. In other words, He sees them in their need. And his ears are attentive to their cry. He hears and answers them. On the other hand, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To blot out their name from the earth. I don't want to do evil. Now, if the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth, I, I don't want to be that person. And then he makes it even more explicit in verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. See, these are the kinds of things that remind us to follow after the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I need reminding. I need regular, often to be reminded. Regularly to be reminded. Now we can go on with the other commandments. There's a few left. But that's an exploration I'd encourage you to do on your own as you work through the Psalms. Just maybe sit down and start reading a book at a time. You've got the five books, so read one and the next and so on. And look for those kinds of things and make those connections. Observe other ways that the Psalms orient us to the Lord. So, for instance, in Psalm 7, I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Well, maybe before I start saying that, I really wasn't going to give thanks to the Lord. But now that I've said it, I kind of feel like, oh, you know, I do. I need to stop and give thanks to the Lord. I need to sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Or how about Psalm 9? I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name. 
And when we sing them, it's kind of nice because then we can hum them later and dwell on them. I, I think of a couple of songs just come to my mind quickly when I think of the psalms and songs that we have sung over, over my lifetime and the first one here in this church. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You know, in you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who trusts in you will ever be put to shame. I just, I can hum that. I can think that. It goes over and over in my, my mind. Or Psalm 3. Remember from 40 years ago. Lord, how hard they increase that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. You can see why I preach and don't sing, can't you? (laughs) Many are they that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory, my glory and the lifter of my head. And this comes back when you're singing it a lot easier than when you're just saying it. That one's fun to play on the guitar too, but another... Another time. We are, we are also forming ourselves. We are shaping ourselves. You could say training ourselves to delight in the law of the Lord as we use the Psalms. See, not only does the blessed person meditate on it, we read in Psalm 1 that he or she delights in the law of the Lord. Amen? In Psalm 19, we... We read this, and you might, this might be familiar from this morning as well. The, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. I don't know about you. Every time I read that, every time I speak that, every time I, I recite that psalm, when I get to that part, more to be desired are they than gold. There's this little voice in me that says, oh, that's right. <laughs> I know you tend to forget that. <laughs> They're more to be desired than gold. It's like, McFly! (laughs) Or the 119th Psalm, which you could just read the whole Psalm, but that would take us all afternoon. Uh, But in verses 14 through 16, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Some might suggest that if you say this aloud around others, but don't really feel it, that you're being a hypocrite. Sure, if you're attempting to deceive others, that would be the case, but no one would accuse a gymnast of being a hypocrite because they call themselves a gymnast, even when their training reveals that they have a long way to go. We're not, we're not being hypocritical. We're declaring who God has made us to be and who we are determined to pursue. The, being what God has called us to. God has called me and I will pursue after His calling. Amen? The Psalms, like a spiritual workout, form us into the people of God that we are called to be. They are formational. 
transformational, shaping. They are formational like a workout is formational. And believe me, a hard workout is formational. It changes. And then thirdly, we get to the the heading, the Psalms form God's character into us. The Psalms form God's character into us. Or we could say that the Psalms form us into God's character. They stamp it in our soul. One of the ways that the Psalms are righteous and just, uh, I'm sorry, one of the ways that the Psalms form righteousness and justice into us is by way of example. God's example. So let's look, for instance, some of the most uh, noted things in the Psalms about God. Well, we, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. But we're told to speak truthfully and not to lie. Well, the Lord does not lie and he fulfills his word. Or Psalm 86, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. In case we missed it, Psalm 103 The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And did you miss it? Well, Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. We can find other places. The point is it keeps driving home that point. But what do you think? If that's what our God is like and that's who we worship, should we not also be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love? Should that not also describe us? Doesn't it call us to want to emulate this God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and rich in love? And what does it look like for Him to be gracious and compassionate and rich in love? And therefore, what would it look like for us to emulate that? Well, look at Psalm 12. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I, this is the Lord speaking, will protect them from those who malign them. Well, then we find Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give, up, give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on a sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Look at all the promises to the one who cares for the poor. Why? Because God is caring for the poor. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love. And then negatively, we have it said this way in Psalm 14, verse 6. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. In other words, you're you're coming up against the Lord when you do that. He will protect them. How about Psalm 35, beginning in verse 10? My, My whole being will explain who is like you, Lord. You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. But then contrast that with the wicked in Psalm 37. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright. As we meditate on these things, it orients us to righteousness and justice and away from wickedness. The the one we worship rescues the poor from those too strong for them. So what does that call us to do and be? Should shape us into the character of God. Or how about Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6? A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. 
God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Well, if this is what God is, He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. If He sets the lonely in families, if He leads out prisoners with singing, is that not also who we should be? For God to be gracious and compassionate and rich in love, that has concrete expressions in the world, in His character, in how He engages with people. It's not just an abstract idea. Oh, God's gracious and compassionate. He abounds in love. What does that mean? I don't know. It has particular things. And so, if we're going to be gracious and compassionate and abounding in love, it's going to have particular things attached to it. And the same kinds of things, I might suggest. Psalm 104. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants uh, for, for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Now this goes back to the creation story. God works six days to create a garden, and He rests one. But what, who did He create that garden for? Well, for a place for Him and man to dwell together, to be His place of habitation, yes, but to feed the earth, to feed humanity, to feed the animals. He's, he's a giver. He's a servant. He's a provider. What do we do with our lives? Do we sit around waiting for some, like, I need to do that thing I was created for? Well, this is that thing you were created for. To, to be a provider, to be a sustainer, to be like your father. You don't need to wait for some vision from heaven to tell you that. If you have it, great. But until then, let's get busy working six days and resting one, as he did, for the good of others. Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Well, we praise God that He will remember us this way, and we consider it great that the Lord will remember us by His steadfast love and not by our sins. Then it only stands to reason that we too should strive to remember others, not according to their worst moments, but through a lens of love. Amen? And the New Testament repeatedly makes that clear as we are told to pray, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. Always a connection between God's mercy to us and our mercy to others. God's grace to us and our grace to others. Always need to be connected. Well, the Psalms, just in closing, say a a few summary things of, of what we've already said. The Psalms have a unique place in Scripture. They are not in God's word, that they are not God's word to us in the same way that the law or the prophets spoke to us. They were first humanity's words to God and then returned to us as the words that God would put in our mouths for formation into the people that he has called us to be. The Psalms are an exercise in meditation in the law of the Lord. They teach us to delight in that law. They orient us toward love of the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
The Psalms cause us to contemplate the character of the God we worship in such a way that we are conformed into His likeness. And so, my challenge for us today, my encouragement for you, is to consider how you might develop the use of the Psalms in your private prayer life, and how we might develop the use of the Psalms in our congregational spiritual formation. How are you going to put this study of the Psalms into practice? What might you hope would come from that practice? How, How might your community group put the Psalms into practice in a way that will be spiritually formative? How might we as a gathered community, when we gather on Sundays, use the Psalms for formation? And we've been doing some of that, but looking for more ways, our call to worship, a time of of call and response, and uh, seeking to find ways that the the patterns of Scripture can inform and instruct us in how we worship as the people of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Shape us into the likeness of your Son. Your Son who frequently prayed the Psalms, who is the ultimate prayer of the Psalms, and who is the fulfillment of those Psalms. Shape us into His likeness. I I know that the Psalms may be passe for many in our culture, But they are timeless with you, O Lord, for your word stands firm forever. Lord, help us to use the Psalms to remind ourselves of truth, to remind ourselves of who you are, to remind ourselves of who you've called us to be, to walk from our worst emotions to our better emotions, to cry out on behalf of those in distress or to know what to say when we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.